Awesome. Thank you, choir. Hey, while you're being seated, go ahead and turn in your Bible uh, to John chapter 14 and hold your spot there. John chapter 14. We're going to start there in just a few moments, but uh, we are going to move around a good bit today. And so I don't always try to use a lot of passages of Scripture. I don't want you to get lost kind of in the mix there. Uh, but today is going to be one of those. So we'll have them on the screen behind me. If you can follow along, that'd be great. Uh, but John 14, that's the easy starting point, right? You got a little time to get there. Uh, that's where we're going to begin. So we're finishing out the series. We started in the uh, beginning of summer in early June, uh, the series called Road Trip. And it's been, to me, it's been enjoyable. I've enjoyed preaching through this series, um, partly because there's just such a great tie-in between our journeys with the Lord, with Christ, and, and even our journey through life as well, right? And an actual physical road trip. We all have memories of road trips, whether it was in college with friends or with college friends or co-workers or family, maybe as a kid or as an adult now. Uh, we all have memories of road trips. Some of those are good, some of those are bad, and uh, some of those were ones that we want to remember because it all came together. Others are ones that maybe the trip didn't come off the way we had planned, but we've kind of walked through this whole summer looking at different aspects of what it means to be on a journey with Jesus. And uh, we started with uh, a message that titled, was titled Hit the Road and uh, how every journey really begin, every road trip has a starting point. It has a definitive beginning point. And for us in our journeys with God, I mean, it's no different. Nobody backs into a journey with God. Nobody backs into a relationship with God or accidentally finds themselves there. It always starts at a very definitive moment. And, uh, and this is great that we just had baptism because for Connor and for Isaac both, they had moments in their lives where they placed their faith in Jesus. They weren't saved this morning because they were baptized. They had already made that decision. They had a starting point to their journey with Christ. Today, they just went public with it, and they showed it through their baptism. But for us, you know, we have to place our faith in Jesus. That's the only way we have a relationship with God. And so we started this series with that message titled, Hit the Road. We talked about travel partners, that you're not journeying in your journey with Jesus by yourself. You've got other Christians around you. And in a day now with social media, the way it is, you know, the world is shrinking. The world is becoming smaller, and it's not uncommon to get messages from people you know in other parts of the world. Uh, that also have a relationship with Christ that can speak into your life and be an encouragement to you. And so you're journeying as a Christian through this journey with Christ with others alongside of you. And at the same time, you're also indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God sends his spirit to live within you. So you're never truly alone. We talked about baggage in this series and how just like in a road trip, you kind of cart baggage along. We have a tendency to pick up and accumulate baggage along the way. Some of that baggage comes because of our choices, maybe sins we committed and uh, something we did that didn't line up with what God wanted and uh, created some baggage. Sometimes the baggage comes from what somebody else did that they shouldn't have. And we kind of get the fallout. We get the blowback from it. And, and we have baggage that needs to be dealt with. Here's the good news is that God always meets us where we are and he's willing to help unpack that baggage and even leverage it for good if we allow him to do that. So we talked about all that earlier in the series. We also talked about rest stops along the way, how we need margin in our lives. We talked about detours and delays, those times that come in our journey with Jesus that we didn't see coming. We thought things were going to go a certain direction in life and maybe they didn't. Maybe the career went a different way or we lost a job or we hit a certain struggle along the way and we got a detour, delay in the journey. God uses those and he molds us through those things that come in our lives. And so we talked about that specifically as well. We talked about tourist traps and, uh, and, and how there are voices out there, right, on the journey that are calling us away from truth, calling us to step aside from what God's truth tells us. We talked as well in this series um, uh, specifically about the, 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 the lure of the world, 
right? There are things that distract us, but then there are also things that we just believe that don't line up with the truth of God's word. Uh, we talked about roadside assistance and how really, in a sense, if you're a Christian, you are God's roadside assistance, not for him, but for others that are kind of broken down along the way. And then last Sunday, we, we, uh, we talked about epic trip fails and how there are times when the trip we planned didn't go the way we thought. You know, the car broke down or we missed that flight or we got sick on day one, missed the whole, the whole vacation, right? And, and, and even there, God is able to meet us at that point of failure in our lives when we fall short. He's able to meet us there. Like he did with Simon Peter. Simon Peter failed, denied Christ three times. Jesus met him where he was, restored him. Thankfully, he does the same thing through grace with us as well. So today we finish out the series. That was a quick, like, little three-minute synopsis, and I know what you're thinking. That was about eight hours or four hours of preaching over about eight messages right there you got in three minutes. I know you're thinking, this would be great, Brooks. Can you do that every Sunday? That is an awesome idea. No. And so... So we're going to continue today. We're finishing out this series uh, with a message titled Destination. Last message of the series, Destination. Every road trip has a destination, right? Whether you're headed off on an airplane, whether you're headed off in a minivan, whether you're headed off regardless of whichever direction, mountains, coast, somewhere in between, every road trip has an ending point. Every road trip has a destination. And at the same time, when we kind of bring alongside of that idea of a road trip, the fact that we are on a journey with Jesus or even just on a journey through life, we understand that that also has a destination. And what I want to talk about this morning is the fact that for, for people in general, there are three destinations in life that I'm going to talk about today. When the, when the message is over, you're going to look back. And you're going to say, you know what? He talked about three destinations specifically. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, there are two destinations that I'm going to talk about for you, right, that apply to you. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, okay, where on earth is he going with this? Because I always thought there were only two destinations. You're telling me there's three. And then you're telling me now for the Christian there, there, there are two different destinations. I thought there's only one for me as a follower of Jesus. Well, it'll all make sense by the time we're done. But that's what I want us to talk about specifically. So let's go ahead and put a principle in place. I, I'm going to pull out about two or three different principles as we move through the message this morning. So let's go ahead and put one in place to start with. And the principle is this, that it's important for us as we move through this life journey, it's important for us as Christians specifically to keep the destination in view, right? There is a destination to every road trip. And in our journey through life, there is also an ending point. There is a destination, but speaking of us as believers, right, and when I talk about us as Christians, I don't mean we're Christian because we were born in the U.S. or a Christian because we've gone to church our whole lives or because mom, dad, grandma, grandpa were Christians. What I'm talking about is we've come to a place, just like for Isaac and Connor, where we've made the decision to say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need rescue. I need salvation. Only you can give it. Would you forgive me and would you save and rescue me? Right? That's what makes us a Christian. And so for that person, when, if, if you're one of those, when you think about your journey through life, we have to keep the destination in view. So when I, when I served in a local church before I went to seminary, I served for about six years with a, with a small church working with middle schoolers and high schoolers. And we would have this event that we would do at different times, usually through the summer, but I think at times we would do it through the year as well. This was, this was back a little ways before gray hair, back in the 90s. And we would do this event called Destination Unknown. And the whole premise of the event was we would announce it, tell all the students, hey, listen, show up Friday night, 6.30. We're, we're doing our next destination unknown. And what that meant was they were not going to know where we were going until we got there. 
right, they're going to show up at the church, we're going to meet out there, we're going to get in vehicles or whatever, and we're going to go to the destination that as far as they knew at that point was unknown. But they knew it was going to be fun, they knew it was going to be worth the time that they would put into it, right? It was going to be better than just sitting at home doing nothing. And I would usually tell them, I would try to, you know, I'd trick them, and I was usually pretty decent at it, I guess, maybe because they weren't always that smart, but I would tell them, like, bring five bucks and an extra pair of socks, right? And you'd start to hear the chatter, right? That is, oh, we're going bowling, you know? This was, again, the 90s. Now it'd be like, bring a change of socks and $41, you know? But, you know, bring a change of socks and, and, uh, because you got to have those with those bowling shoes, maybe two or three pairs would would be helpful, and five bucks, right? And so they show up, it's like, oh, we already know what we're doing. We're going to go bowling so they'd all show up and they wouldn't need the extra pair of socks so we'd go play putt-putt or something right and the five bucks was just to cover that and so it was always this fun but it was destination unknown here's the thing for you as a Christian life is not one big destination unknown you already know where you're going right you know where the journey ends for you and it ends really really well because the Bible tells you where it's going to end you've read the back of the book right you know how this story ends and you know the promises that God makes John three sixteen. for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him and if that's you right will never perish but have everlasting life the Bible talks about this place called heaven right and and, and gives detail not all the details it leaves a lot for us to find out when we get there but we know where the destination is and here's the key for us as Christians that as we trans, as we make our way through life and as we transition through this journey right through life we as believers have to keep the destination in view I made a comment two months ago message number one in this series I made the comment that and is one of our principles that the journey is as important as the destination and there's a lot of truth to that I still believe in that we can't be those who walk through our lives as Christians saying, you know what, I'm going to heaven, but until then I'm just really not going to put a lot of effort into this life. I'm not really going to care much about God using me. I'm not going to really you know, invest my life in anybody, I, but I know I'm going to heaven. I'm just going to kind of wait till I get there. That's not the way we want to live. The journey is as important as the destination, but at the same time, we cannot afford to journey through life without keeping in mind that we have a home that is waiting for us. And as we move through this life and as we journey through this life, sometimes it gets a little bumpy, right? Sometimes it gets a little challenging. And sometimes it seems like heaven is a distant view. Or maybe it gets so bumpy it feels like, you know what, I might be going to heaven quicker than I thought I was going to go. A few years ago we went on a vacation as a family, Susie, me, and Hannah, Drew, and April, and we went rafting. Any of you ever rafted on the Nantahala River? Any of you ever done that? All right, quite a few of you. So... So we went, and I've rafted the Nantahala many times through student ministry I had served in, in the past. And so we went rafting. I'm not a big fan of rafting because every time I would go, I'd fall out of the raft. And that water is about like 12 degrees uh, up there. And uh, they pull it up from the, from the bottom of the dam, and it's just freezing cold. And um, I would always fall in. And so as we began to talk as a family about potentially going on a rafting trip, I was just kind of going along, but it would not have been my first choice. And, and so we, we get up there, and uh, again, five in our family, there is a, uh, a river guide who's, who's steering the boat, you know, the, the raft, and then there's this random couple, these two other people, they weren't part of our family, we never met them until we stepped foot in the, in the boat there, in the raft, and so, um, so we get in, and we start rafting, well, down the Nantahala, it's a real easy river until you get to the very end, then I think it ends with like a class three or class four, something like that, and it's, I mean, it's pretty challenging, and, and, and a little scary, especially when you've got like a... 11-year-old and a 9-year-old and a, you know, whatever, four or five, however old April was then, right? We're, we're, we're you know, the kids were younger. 
And so there's this place along the way. You know how they take your pictures? You ever had that beautiful uh, thing happen when you're on a roller coaster or in a river? And, and so they snap your pictures. Well, I got permission from all of my family. They signed a waiver form today giving me permission to show this next picture. <laughs> and and uh, they snapped a picture, and, uh, and you got to look. Drew is probably, I'm guessing, maybe 9 or 10 or somewhere along the way, I guess. And, uh, and he's in the front of the boat next to his sister, Hannah. And again, a couple of random people and a guy in the back, Susie and April and me. And this is, this is the look. you got to see Drew right there at the very front. I don't know if you can see that very well, but it is a look of absolute sheer terror. And uh, either that or he just caught a big old splash right in the eye. I don't know, one of the two. But everybody else is smiling, not so much Drew. And sometimes we come to places in our lives, whether it's in a relationship or, or maybe a, uh, you know, finances or a big decision we face, or maybe we're just kind of feeling the strain of temptation and we're just weary and tired. Well, we feel like that. We're just done. It's like, you know what? This trip is done. I don't want to be on this anymore. This is not the way I thought it was going to be. But it always ends well, right? There, there's another, obviously, this is not the only picture, but there, it ends with a smile on the face, and uh, you end up being okay. And that's the way life is a lot of times, even for us as Christians. And we can take that down. But but it's that way for us in a lot of ways that, that as believers, we can't fall into the trap of thinking that my life is supposed to be easy. My life is supposed to be just this smooth journey. No, Jesus said in the Gospels, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It was like he's saying, count on it, right? But take heart because I've overcome the world. And there are two different perspectives. Either we can fall under the weight of a fallen world at times, and the struggles that come with it, or we can keep our eyes on the destination, kind of like that runner who's running you know, the marathon, who's feeling it at, at mile 12, who's feeling it, especially at mile 20, who just keeps their eye on the destination. There's an end to this. It's the 400-meter runner, one trip around the track, probably the hardest race in track and field. Because when you hit the 300 mark, or you hit the 250 on the opposite curve, or the 200 mark, you're starting to feel it. And when you come off the curve with another 100 to go, your body is saying, we are done here, right? And you keep your eyes, you come off that last curve, and you've got your eyes 100 meters down the track towards the finish line, right? And you keep your eyes there. And it is the same in life. There are going to be significant bumps along the way, but one of the things we do is that we focus on the journey, yes, but we don't get our eyes off the destination because we know God has something different and we know God has something better for us there. So what does that look like for the Christian? John chapter 14, you've been sitting there for a little while, so let's go ahead and jump in. Jesus is speaking to his disciples here and he's talking about the destination to come. Now remember, Jesus would have three, three and a half years of public ministry. He would be crucified. Three days later, he would rise again. Forty days later, he would ascend back to the Father, and we still await his return. He's promised he's coming back. We know he is, and we await that. Here in John 14, Jesus is starting to kind of turn the attention of his disciples towards those series of events, towards his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension back to the Father. He says in verse 1, he says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's it, an interesting statement. He's, for the most part, equating himself with God. He's, he's claiming his deity here, that he's God, in the same way you believe in God. right? He says to these Jewish followers, he says, Believe in me. I'm God. 
Verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Now, let's just pause there for a second. He mentions dwelling places. Now, in the King James Version, if you're one of those who uses the King James translation, it words this a little differently. It says, in my Father's house are many mansions, right? Some of you maybe memorized this verse way back in the day with that. I, I, don't, I don't know that, that that phrase necessarily hits exactly what that verse is trying to convey because it creates this idea that whenever we get to heaven, we're all going to have our own mansion and we're all just going to kind of like live in our own little little house there apart from everybody else. That's not the picture of this. In fact, I like the way the New American Standard translates this. It says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. It, it, it paints this picture. It's one house, right? It's the Father's house. It's God's house. And we're all together as part of that. That's what this passage is conveying. There's this sense, not of disunity, we're all in our own separate mansion enjoying it, but we're together. Jesus said in verse 3, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is speaking of heaven as a very real place. This isn't figurative. This isn't an analogy. This isn't some hope so pie in the sky, hope you feel better about yourself now you know, as you go through your struggle. No, he's treating heaven as a literal place, a very real place, a place where he's going to be, a place that he is preparing for those who know him. And then you go down to verse 4, and it says, And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Now remember, they didn't have the whole New Testament, so cut them a little slack, right? This is kind of being lived out. So how do we know how to get there? Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so he's painting this picture. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a destination for those who know him once life on this earth is done. Heaven is um, a place where, where God dwells, where other believers dwell. And then he says this at the end, no one comes to the Father but through me. And what Jesus does is, is that he makes this whole worldview of Christianity that is described in the pages of the Bible, he makes it very exclusive. Do not ever feel an obligation to somehow explain away the exclusivity, exclusivity of the claims of Jesus as it relates to what it takes to be a Christian. It is exclusive. Not exclusive in the sense of, oh, only you, 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 and you, and people like you can come in and nobody else. It's not that kind of exclusive. It is exclusive in regards to the parameters of what it means to be a Christian in the first place, and it's exclusive as it relates to how a person spends forever with God in heaven. We come to God through Jesus, repentance from our sin, place our faith in Christ, period. Right? It's open for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, it's open to anyone of any background, of any life story, of any past regret, no matter what we've done, no matter what we believed in the past, it's wide open for anyone to come to have a relationship with God and spend forever in heaven. It's not exclusive to the point of saying, stay out, this is not for you. It's for everyone, but it's exclusive in what it takes for us to be able to go there, and that is that we surrender our lives in belief and trust in the person of Jesus. And so he paints this picture of heaven. And for the Christian, there's 
countless passages that remind us that as we live our lives, we live our lives as we journey through this walk with Jesus with the end in view. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes, look at what it says in verse 16. He says, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Listen to verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, right, in this world are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What is Paul saying to the believers in Corinth? He's saying live with your destination in view. Remember what is ahead for you, Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says much the same to the Christians in Rome. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? You're suffering, you struggle, you live in a fallen world today. But those sufferings put all together and added up are not even worthy to be compared for what God has in store for you when he reveals it in eternity, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little bit of a longer passage of Scripture. Listen to what he says. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, in other words, if our earthly lives come to an end, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, right, while we're in this earthly life on this earth, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. In other words, we know there's something that is beyond this life that is waiting for us. Verse 5, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Let me pause there for a second. When it says that God gave us his Spirit as a pledge, what does that mean? It's a pledge of what? Well, his spirit, he is a pledge of what is to come, of our inheritance, right? That we've got heaven on the horizon. We've got eternity to spend with God. The Holy Spirit who indwells us now is a pledge of that in many ways, where we're going to spend eternity with God in his house. Verse 6, therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. We live in light of our destination. We live life to give God glory. We live life to be pleasing to him. We live life with eternity in view as Christians. Whether, whether you are weary and tired and ready to give up, Keep the end in view. Keep the destination. you got a home that's coming, right? If you're at a place where you're lonely, where you're discouraged, keep the end in view, right? There's a better place that's coming. This is what the New Testament is teaching us. Now, I made the comment that for the Christian, there are two destinations, right? Let's take a look at the second principle, principle number two. Until we reach heaven, God's aim is to mature us. He wants to mature us in our faith. That's kind of like our destination on this earth. Remember I made the comment, Christians, you got two destinations. You're thinking, all right, what's going on with this? I thought we are going to heaven. I didn't know there's another one. 
yeah, heaven is the ultimate destination. But until we get there, God's goal, his aim, his purpose for you, his destination in that sense, if we can use that word, is to bring you to a place of maturity. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. It's like the classic verse for this. For those whom he foreknew, this is believers he's talking about, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God's destination for you as a Christian is to be molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. There are trials, there are struggles, there are challenges that come that are part of that mix. There are blessings, there's grace that he shows. It's all part of that mix. But he wants you to be, and he wants me to be like Christ. It's part of the destination. We can't say, oh, heaven's coming. I'm just going to kind of coast through this life. No, no, it's not over when you give your life to Christ. It's only really beginning. He wants to grow you. Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, I told you there are a lot of passages coming. Ephesians chapter 4, he even talks about the responsibility of the local church to help us to mature in our faith. Ephesians 4, verse 11, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Listen, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. He wants you to be mature and to be like Jesus. And even the very structure, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, of the local church is designed in such a way to help facilitate growth in the life of the believer. Now, here's the irony of it. It's almost comical that he mentions leaders there, pastors and teachers. What, what, what's ironic is the very leaders in the local church are also in need of growing more deeply in our faith and in our knowledge of Jesus and in our maturity as Christians. The picture there is we're all in this together, right? So destination, heaven for the Christian Another destination for the Christian is to grow in maturity with Christ. Principle three, we start to tie it up. So then throughout our journey as believers, we journey by faith. Passage I read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, there, there are times in my life where I would have loved to have received a letter from God postmark from heaven, signed with his own hand that said, Brooks, go this direction. Brooks, do that, you know. But we don't get that. We have his word. We have scripture. We have a spirit who indwells us. But at the end of the day, our walk is a walk of faith. I had a professor in seminary, a preaching professor, actually. He said the goal of preaching is to sponsor faith in the lives of those who hear, right? The people will hear the teaching of God's word, and the response will be, I'm going to take that at its word. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I want to follow. Right, that's the goal. It's faith. You'll never get to a place this side of heaven where you will not be required to walk by faith. It's always, always built into the DNA of our journey with Jesus this side of heaven. We walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul writes to the churches in the region of Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Right, My old life is gone. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have a new life. And the life which I now live, right, in this journey with Jesus, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
will never journey away from faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells the story of countless people from the Old Testament who had walked by faith. It's kind of known as the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Jacob. I mean, just, it just mentions so many. But listen what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, speaking of keeping the destination in view and walking by faith until we get there. It says in Hebrews 11, verse 13, All these died in faith, speaking of these heroes of the faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's an interesting phrase. They were strangers and exiles. This earth was not their home, and they knew it. They knew there was a place that waiting for them because of their faith in the Lord. Verse 14, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return, right? Abraham could have gone back to the land that he had left. Verse 16, but as it is, they, these heroes of the faith, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one, a destination that is yet to come. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They are growing in faith with the destination in view. It's what we see all the way through the New Testament. Growing in faith with the destination in view. Now remember, I talked about three different destinations, right? I said when the message is over, you're going to look back, you're going to see for the Christian, there are two destinations. Those are clear, right? Heaven, ultimately, maturity as we walk towards heaven. But there's also a third destination that I'm talking about today, and that's the destination of those who don't have a relationship with Jesus because the Scriptures have much to say about that as well. It's a very sobering reality. God's love is never in question. He already tells us, and He proves it through Scripture and through the death of Jesus that he loves us. But the sobering reality is that for those who die without a relationship with God that only comes one way, not through our good deeds, not through sincerity, not through being a part of a church, but only through a life that believes in and yielded to the person of Jesus, right? For those who don't make that decision, there is another destination apart from the presence of God in a place the Bible calls hell. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, to me, as well as, if not better than any, uh, any other passage of Scripture, lays out what's on the table as it relates to a choice whether or not to follow Jesus or to live our lives without him. In Ephesians 2, he lays out, it's kind of like two different lists. On one side, Paul is going to detail the life without Jesus and what characterizes that life, what it looks like. And then also in chapter 2, it's like Paul composes another list, a separate list, of what the life looks like that does know Jesus, that has trusted Christ and followed him. Now I'm going to read chapter 2. I'm going to not read it in order, but for the sake of understanding clearly what the life without Christ and what the life with Christ looks like, I'm going to move around just a bit in chapter 2, and I want you to follow along with me. First of all, we see Paul begins to give a description of the life that is lost without Jesus he says in chapter 2 in Ephesians, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. 
Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul's description of the life of the person without Jesus there, he says that they are dead in their sins, they are driven by their flesh, their own wants, their desires. And he says their life is characterized as being under the wrath of God because God is just and holy and he has to judge sin. You drop down to verse 12, he gets even more particular. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he adds to the list, those without God, those without a relationship with Jesus are dead in their sins, they're driven by the flesh, they're under the wrath of God, they're children of wrath, they are uh, strangers to God, they are excluded, they are ultimately without hope, they are separate, and they are without God in this world. It's not a good description Paul gives of the person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. But he also describes in chapter 2 those things that apply to the person who's given their life to Christ. Look at what he says in verse 4 and 5. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So for the life of the person who has a relationship with God through Jesus, he says, you're now alive. You're not dead in your sins. You've been made alive. He even uses the word, you've been saved. You've been rescued. You go down to verse 6. He says, you've been raised up with him seated he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you've been saved through faith that it not of yourselves it's the gift of God not as a result of works so that no one may boast for the person who knows Jesus that person is alive that person is saved they've been raised up with Christ they've been seated with Christ they've become recipients of God's grace recipients of God's kindness you go down through verse 13 remember they were once separate they were once without hope they were once without God now down in verse 18 it says or down in verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You go down to verse 18. Through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And this picture that Paul paints is this picture of two lists, two lives. The one without Christ, the one that has never confessed their sin and asked Jesus to forgive and to take over is the one who's dead on the inside because of their sin. They're separate from God. They're without hope. They're without him in this world and throughout eternity as it stands right now. They are strangers. They are excluded. They have the penalty of their sin over them. They're children of wrath. And those who have given their lives to Jesus are exactly the opposite. They've been rescued. They've been delivered. They've been redeemed. They've been reconciled to God. They now have access to the Father. They have a relationship with God that is unbroken. They are no longer on the outside looking in, but rather they have been adopted. They've been assimilated into God's family. They've been drawn near. They've been forgiven and they've been set free. And the decision is, I mean, it's just as clear. I tried to highlight the words in there that apply to this. The decision is, which list are you going to choose? If you've already decided to be a follower of Jesus, as shown in the lives of two, just two today that have been baptized, who earlier had made a decision to follow Christ. If you've already made that decision for yourself, you got a really good list 
And you got heaven and home and the presence of God waiting. And a lot to live for today. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, it's that other list that describes where you are. And my question, it has to be, why on earth would you choose this? And what is it about living life on your terms rather than God's? What is it about that that makes that more appealing than everything he has in store if you just trust Jesus and surrender and follow him? You know, when we were kids and we'd make our vacation trips, we'd load up the station wagon with a jump seat in the back, dad driving, singing corny songs along the way, my mom sitting up front, my brother, my cousin. And as I mentioned before, we'd make that journey. We'd kind of hit all the same places, Gatlinburg and Cherokee and all those places. And, and often we would hit my aunt and uncle's house in Stone Mountain. My mom's sister, my mom was the youngest. And so my aunt and my uncle were getting a little bit older, even when I was a little kid. And we'd go to their house in Stone Mountain, and it was a real simple house, but we loved it, man. It was just, it was just the best because we'd arrive, and uh, they were, you know, they had this big yard in the back with a big hill. You know, I grew up in almost near Thunderbolt. We didn't have hills, right? They had this big hill you could run down, and they had this this basement in their house that was scary as all get out. But you were compelled to go check it out every time we made a trip. This long hallway, right, that they'd shine up and wax up. We'd put our socks on, and go flying down, slide down the hallway. We just had so much fun. They had a TV. We never watched it. I don't even think the thing worked. They had all these magazines. My uncle loved fishing. All these fishing magazines and all kind of stuff. And we'd talk about when we were going to go to stone mountain the next day or a couple days later it was just such a great place and I was thinking about this earlier you know from what I remember it seems like that whenever we would arrive and we'd roll in from Savannah it'd be a little four four and a half hour drive remember these were before the days of GPS you didn't know where people were on the road we'd pull up there and from the best that I can remember they would come out and they would welcome us it's like they just knew (laughs) they're here you know what, Christian, it's an awesome thought. And it's not hope so, pie in the sky. It's not analogy. It's not myth. It's reality. That one day our eyes are going to close in death. But when they open, they're going to open in a place that God has prepared for us, where Jesus is. And I don't know how it's all going to play out or what it's all going to look like. I'll find out when I get there. But there are going to be others that are there that went on ahead of us who knew Jesus. They're going to welcome us home also. But the sobering reality is that not everybody is going to be there. And it's that that raises the stakes on us as followers. That during the brief time God gives us on this earth, we need to live it with forever in view. Both knowing that it's not always going to be as hard as it is down here. We'll have our rest coming. But we only have this finite time to live life in a way that puts Jesus on display so that as many as we can influence as possible, we help them to get to that place as well. It's a tall task, isn't it? But the journey's not over. The road trip is not done. And we live this life to the glory of the Father who sent his Son to die for us. And we live our life as missionaries in this place sometimes feeling like a stranger in an exile in a place we don't belong sometimes feeling like you know what it's really hard down here 
and I'm kind of ready for what's next. But never losing sight that we're here for a reason, to bring as many along as we can, as we live life on mission to the glory of God. Man, I don't know if you've ever given your life to Jesus. If you've made that decision to give your life to Christ, and if these baptisms today remind you of that day for you, man, praise God that he paid an awful high cost for you to get heaven and him forever. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, listen, it's not that hard. The hardest part is you getting out of the way and saying, I'm ready for a Lord that's not me. And inviting the only one who fills the role to forgive you and to save you. And you can do that right here today where you sit by simply saying, Jesus, I've blown it. Would you forgive me and save even me from this day forward? And he'll do it. I promise. Let's pray. <laughs> God, we thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for the, the imagery that comes to mind when we talk about a road trip. And Lord, in a lot of ways, that's what we're on. We're on a journey. We're on a journey through life. We're surrounded by people in this community who are on their own journey through life. But God, we're also on a different journey as followers of Jesus. We're on a journey with you, knowing that this life is not all there is, that there's a destination that awaits. And Lord, you don't tell us everything about what that place is going to look like for us. You don't describe heaven in every single detail. But what we do know is enough to know it's going to be amazing and even beyond that, you tell us that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind can even conceive what you have in store for those who love you, for those who know you through Christ. And so, God, we praise you that you, you, you tie up the package and you put the bow on top. You pull everything to a conclusion that even though we've sinned and we've broken our relationship with you, you paid the price through Jesus who came, died, and rose. And you call us to live a life that's yielded to Jesus, that trusts in him alone for salvation. And when we do, there's a place where you are, and all those who knew you before we got there. But God, may, us, may we never forget that on this side that you want us to grow in faith and maturity, that you want us to live lives where we put you on display, where we serve, where we reach out, where we live as missionaries in this world because it is one giant mission field. And so God, help us to expend our efforts and the lives that you've given us for the purpose of glorifying you and reaching people for you. And may we always only give you the glory for whatever you do. Lord, the journey's not over. And so may we live it the best we can in your strength and your power. God, thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Help us to live individually as believers and help us to live as a church where you planted us, God as people who others can see are sold out to you. We thank you for the privilege, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.